Welcome, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights. This is another episode about listener questions. I've had a number of those, and I number them differently to keep track on my own of when I did what, and I don't necessarily put in the show notes what the exact eight questions are, because sometimes they're not even questions as much as comments or concepts. But still, I love it when people send in YouTube comments or on the podcast website or just to drjamesbeckett at gmail.com. There's different ways. I've gotten some through Instagram as well with some presence there. But uh, again, uh, not so many that I can't handle them. And sometimes there's duplications and uh, some are worthy of reading off on air and some not as much. So I'm happy to do that. Give attribution where I can. But first, thank sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett authentication, comc.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggs and Scott Auctions, and Panini Upper Deck and Tops. So first question or comment of the eight was from ASMR people. Enjoyed the Roger Neufeldt episode that was about the 1952 Topps Mantles. Now, I've known Roger for many decades, and he's a great guy and has got some great stories, and we go way back. But this is a story I'd heard, but it's like I say on the podcast, sometimes you just get asked a certain way, and it just comes out in a way that's interesting. So Roger loves telling the story. He's a little bit older than me, so he firsthand remembers 52 Tops. I remember getting 52 Tops after the fact. It was certainly one in 52, or as he says, in 53 as well. But anyway, and SMR People is talking about uh, when Roger talked about the uncut sheet, and he wanted to comment. He was hoping that there was some kind of uh, aggregation of, of the uncut sheet, or at least the uncut sheet images. And I think there are some out there. There used to be. They were more uh, photos back in the day that sometimes in big shows and hospitality rooms, there'd be some mention of who had them. And sometimes they'd have some, not Polaroids, but have snapshots of something. But you really need a digital presentation where you can blow it up and examine it. And I spent a lot of time on those back in the day. So thanks for your question. There wasn't one site, but that was the determination of some of the double prints. It's really helpful, not just empirically to see what comes out in the distribution, but also to see the uncut sheets. So great question. Another one from ASMR People while I'm there. He just said, and I, I resonated with this one too. He said he loved the, this was in the previous eight listener question 3.0, said talking about the 51 Tops Magic set that there was a comment about that because it was on my He said he loved that set, but he sold it in order to get something else. And I thought, gosh, I've done that too. And I wish I had all that stuff that I traded off. And yet I got stuff from it that I preferred to have. Or I got money that turned into something else. So he was talking about how he, in fact, he had some really interesting things that he had. And he mentioned when he was selling these things, he said, I had a customer back then who would buy these graded sets from him at a premium over the breakup value. And as you recall, if you were there back in the day, the price guides, and again, this wasn't an artifact, it's the way it was. Generally, a complete set sold at a discount to the break value. If you added up the price of each individual card, the complete set, you'd think there'd be a premium, but but in the ungraded fashion, there normally wasn't. You normally would get a discount. And grading has changed all that now. Sometimes the breakup value of the set is worth a lot more because some people just really want to have that. So uh, that was a good memory. So thanks, ASMR people. Okay, got a couple of comments here. First one from John Doe, which is an interesting name, which is the name that's not a name, but mentioning uh, following up on the Dennis Walker episode that I did with Sean. And Dennis Walker was a mystery man. 
and said, so he had a lot of comments about that, but mainly he was directing me to the link and it's on YouTube that I think you could probably just Google. It's a Dennis Walker. It's a Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. And so he said they'd go to the Dennis Walker portion at the 32-minute mark. And I did that. I do remember that I saw that at the time. But gosh, it's been 30, 30 plus years. Again, it's one of life's mysteries. And when you watch that episode, and I encourage you to go to it. It's free on YouTube. The guy had two Wagners. And then the values that are quoted in these videos about what he had amassed, which was a very impressive collection, but what they were worth, you could add a zero to most of those things or two zeros in some cases. Some of the outrageously low prices, and I can assure you because I was there, those were not perceived as low prices at the time. It wasn't like, wow, I'd buy it for that. It was like, wow wow, they're paying that much for that? Thanks, John Doe. And then his follow-up question was same thing that he was bringing that in the broadcast or after the broadcast or in response to the broadcast, the Babe Ruth World Series ring and the Babe Ruth uh, Yankees uniform did turn up. And again, that's interesting in the mystery aspect. It, it just shows in our industry, in our hobby, the idea of fencing something. If you stole something or got something mysteriously, a lot of these items are so unusual and collectors and dealers are so passionate, will know the pedigree. And so... Again, sometimes you can sell something through a third party, but then the third party might disclose, I got it from this person. There's mysterious provenance of anything that was a Dennis Walker. Number five from my friend Victor Roman, the rookie card specialist, and was commenting about the whole idea of junk slabs. He agrees, as I do, hypothetically, that any slab should be at least as valuable as the least cost to grade something. But it doesn't, if a card is worth $10 and you grade it for $20, that doesn't make it a $30 card. Again, if it comes out with a bad grade, it might be less than a $10 card. In fact, it might be a $5 card if it comes out as a seven. And so it's almost better that it wouldn't be slabbed than, than it would be if it gets a poor grade and it's a common card because people just don't want it. But what Victor says, and I encourage other people to do that, is that, and it, again, I was out at a Burbank last week, they aren't junk slab boxes, but they're $20 and under boxes of slab cards reputable grading companies and any card in the box was 20 and there were a bunch of boxes six or eight double shoes fresh inventory good players you're looking through there and you're thinking wow every one of these cards is twenty dollars or less and it costs more than twenty dollars to grade something and there were nines and tens but it still seems unfair that if you grade something it could be worth less than the cost of currently grading something but that's the way it is number six from ml about junk slabs and ML said that sometimes when he buys a card off eBay, the sellers put some extra base cards around the card for extra protection. And sometimes that extra protection, it used to be they'd do like top loaders, maybe put some extra semi-rigids or something. But this time he said, my buffer cards were PSA 9 cards. <laughs> he said, that's my definition of a junk slab. If it's used as backing, in this case, he says for a $10 card. I've seen slabs in the $10 box. I've seen slabs, decent slabs. Again, a decent player, a lesser grade in the $5 box for sure. And then even dollar box, which is just seems crazy. But if it's a dollar slab, to me, that would be junk slab. Okay, seventh question. And this is from Beansball Card Blog, my friend Ken. He said that he used to work for Lids when they were in California. 
And he was mentioning that, by implication, each state is a little bit different in the way they handle retail, let's say. There's different restrictions. There's different sales tax kind of considerations. He mentioned union and non-union, and there's state income tax. Every state has different rules and restrictions about hiring and firing employees. And so where you do business matters. Lids is a division of fanatics. And so with a very large company like that's going to have a presence in many states, they're going to deal with it. It doesn't make California bad or good. It's just that's California. Texas, same thing. Texas has pros and cons as well. And last question or comment is from Ryan. I'm not going to disclose his last name, but you would recognize it. But Ryan was asking me about Comp C pricing, specifically how I price and how I adjust my prices sometimes. And he said, we have a brand and you have a brand. I said, yeah, but my brand on ComC is semi-anonymous. I think some people have figured it out, but I'm not intending it. I just want to sell some cards. And the point of that is, even though almost always I'm trying to be the lowest on the site, Okay, if I get a card, I'm going to put it on there. If I feel I can sell something at a reasonable price and hopefully not lose money, that I want to be the lowest price on the site. So I'm already the lowest price on the site. And I do accept or consider offers. So for every 100 cards I sell, 90% of them probably people just buy it. Again, I'm already the lowest one. But of the other 10%, about 90% of those, and 9 out of 10 of the others are going to make an offer. Again, I'm already the lowest on the site, but they're going to make an offer for less. And in almost every case, in 9 out of 10 cases, so that's 90% I'm going to accept. They're just going to buy it at the full price that's the lowest. or 90% of the others, they're going to make an offer. And I'm disclosing this. I rarely counter. I either accept or reject. And again, this was Ryan's question. He doesn't have a problem with me accepting. I said, well, I have a problem. If I accept every offer, then that's like having an auto accept. And that'll get around that I always accept. And then no one will ever pay full price. And again, like I said, I'm almost always the lowest one already. So people can figure that out. And people talk. Okay, so here's the problem. So out of 100 cards that I sell, 90% of them, they buy at lowest price. Another 9%, I accept their offer. But the 1%, when I don't accept their offer, almost always when I don't accept their offer, I adjust my price upward. And I do it for three reasons. Number one, the basic reason is I think, well, I would buy it for that. I think, wow, that's because either I priced it a really long time ago, or I made a mistake when I priced it, or I priced it. Very recently, I priced it yesterday and somebody's already making me an offer on something. Wait a minute, this they're making me an offer on a card that I have for $2.50, but I just did it yesterday and I missed the decimal point. It's supposed to be $25. Okay, so you would think that, and he's noticed this, and his comment was, you've got 99 people out of 100, of your 100 sales, 99 people are happy because they bought it for the price or less than what you had. But one person is really unhappy because not only did they not buy it, they then lost the chance. They had their chance to buy it at my price. But when they made an offer, I considered the offer and considered that I really wanted to adjust my price. So they could have bought it, but they didn't. And they're not mad at themselves. They're mad at me. And I'm really not going to blame them. I think that's human nature. But again, in the world we live in, if 99 people are happy and one is unhappy, you're going to hear from the unhappy person. And even if you're semi-anonymous, people just don't like it. But it is my prerogative, and I'm not reneging on anything. I'm offering something for sale, and if you say, I'll take it, then you got it. And if you say, would you take something, I'm able to say, 
no, I'm not going to take that. And actually, I'm reconsidering. I'm going to raise my price on that. So I'm apologizing in advance for that, but I'm trying to explain that if it damages my brand, it's damaging the brand of my ComC account. Again, what you can do, always just buy it outright and then it'll never come up. But there's always somebody when something's a really good deal and it's too good a deal and they're still going to want a discount. That's Don't do it. Don't do it. So it's fair warning for those of you who listen to this. And I told Ryan, I said, when I first got started, I priced things too low. I gave too big of a discount. I accepted all these offers. And then I saw people flipping me and buying things from me and then joking about it. And I thought, I'd rather go the other way. If I'm not comfortable selling something for a certain price, I'm going to raise the price. So anyway, that's it. And I'm still having fun. I look forward to seeing you all at the National. And if you got other questions, you can hit me at the National. You can hit me through email or any other way you want. Don't hit me, but send me something. And I love to respond. And again, thanks, everybody. See you soon. Thanks for the questions. And I'll be back again tomorrow with another episode.